been good to be in the Lord's house with you today. What a blessing. And uh, you know, Jesus Christ makes all the difference. Church doesn't make any sense without Jesus. It's just a bunch of people sitting in a building trying to make themselves feel better about their horrible lives. But because of Jesus, everything changes. Man alive. I'm so glad that I met him. Now, you may be hoping and praying that we're almost done with church. But we ain't. Are you ready for chapter two? Are you ready for the second half? Amen. Amen. I'm just kidding. We only preach like we normally do. Amen. (laughs) Let's take our Bibles to Philippians chapter one. And again, let me say thank you uh, to all those who have come as visitors, guests to witness the baptism today. It's our honored privilege to have you here. And I want to say also, ladies, uh, thank you for going and, and being involved. And I've heard great things about what the Lord did at the ladies retreat. And uh, we are expecting more obedient wives as a result. Amen? (laughs) Hey, you never know. Okay. You're saying we expect better husbands as a result. Amen. That's an even greater miracle. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to finish a sentence today that we began four weeks ago. And this this sentence contains three prayer requests that Paul made for a group of believers in a little town called Philippi. He prayed three things, and we'll see them here in verses 9, 10, and 11. Would you read with me? And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That's the first prayer request. Here's the second. That ye may approve things that are excellent. Here's the third. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And then in verse 11, Paul reveals the way that these prayers could realistically be answered. It's one thing to pray them. How could they possibly come to pass? Here's how. Verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and the praise of God. There are three parts in verse 11 that we will attempt to uncover And expound on, verse 11 says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, that's the privilege, which are by Jesus Christ, there's the producer, and then the purpose is unto the glory and praise of God. So first of all, the privilege, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. God is not a part-time God. He doesn't work as a side gig. What he does, he does completely fully. He puts his entire Godhead behind it. He likes things to be filled and overflowing. So he says in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, he told the fish and the birds, he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the waters in the seas. He told Adam, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. He wants it to be filled to overflowing. God doesn't just give us little by little by little. He wants things in our lives to be full. When Jesus came, I want you to take your Bibles, if you would. Hold your place in Philippians. We'll come back there. Take your Bibles backward to the left to the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Right at the, after the, when the New Testament begins. Look at chapter 1 and verse 14. God has a way of filling whatever he's involved in. Because he's so big, he has no desire for half measures. 
And we find that when Jesus came to earth, it says in John 1.14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Notice right here that the glory is reflected in Jesus that he got from his Father. And then notice, full of grace and truth. How much grace did Jesus have? He had all of it. How much truth did he have? He had all of it. He was entirely full of grace and truth. And if, if, you, if you flip over to John chapter 3, hold your place there in 1, chapter 3, verse 34, speaking of Jesus, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, 334. And watch this, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. He did not give him a portion of the Spirit. He completely filled him up with the Spirit. All right? So back to chapter 1 and look at verse 15. So Jesus is full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now watch the amazing thing in verse 16. And of his fullness... Have all we received? What fullness? The fullness of grace and truth. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The fullness that he, have, ha, that he had, we have received, and grace for grace. Where do we get grace from? We got it from the one who was full of it. Full of grace, and he gave it to us. Full of grace and truth. Now let's take our Bibles to go to Colossians chapter 2. So you're going to go back to your right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Keep going, keep going until you hit Colossians chapter 2. Now listen, all you seasoned saints, I'm not talking to you. I know you're offended by me telling you where the verses are in the Bible. I'm talking to people that don't have the same privilege that you've had for 50 years. Colossians chapter 2, look at verse number 9. Speaking of Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. How much of the fullness of the Godhead did he have? All of it. And where was it? In his body. In in his body, he has all the fullness of the Godhead. That's our Savior, full of grace and truth. But the privilege is the next verse. Verse 10, and ye are complete in him. How much do you have in your life that can enable you to live for God? Let's break it down. Everything that Jesus has is available to you. Can you make it? Well, let's ask this. Can Jesus make it? Or did Jesus make it? Absolutely. He went through death, the grave, hell, resurrected, he's seated at the right hand of the Father forever, and he ever liveth, the Bible says. I am he that was dead and is alive, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And that life is in you. Now, the problem is it just doesn't feel like it some days, does it? I mean, that's great and all, but it just doesn't help. But it doesn't change the fact. The fact is Jesus has all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, And if you are in him, you are complete in him. You have everything you need to live a life of joy. 
It's amazing that God would ever want to fill people like us. And yet he does. The second point, back to Philippians chapter 1. The second point we'll talk about is the producer. The producer. So we know that God desires to fill things. He will not fill someone who is not surrendered to him. So you must humble yourself and accept Jesus Christ as your only way to heaven. If you try to bring your confirmation in, the Lord says, sorry, that's not going to be enough room. If you're holding confirmation in there, there's not enough room for me. If you're trying to hold your baptism up as your confirmation of salvation, to say, I know I'm going to heaven because I got baptized. The Lord said, "Ah, man, it just crowds me too much. There's not enough room for me. If you're trying to hold your good works and the fact that, that you've done right by your fellow man, certainly better than other people have, if you're trying to hold that in your heart as somehow justifying yourself before God, God says, sorry, you can't come in. There's not enough room. You know what the Lord says? If I'm going to come in your heart, there has to be nothing else in there that you're trusting in to get you to heaven. you got to chuck it all. You receive me in, and I'll come in and not just give you enough. I'll give you more than you could ever handle. So he comes in, and he fills us. And now watch what it says in verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Here is the phrase that we're focused on now. By Jesus Christ. Okay, now this is going to be crazy. Hang on to your hat. Any fruit of righteousness that I produce now as a child of God is only because of his righteousness. It's only because of the fact that he is in me. Now, you're in Philippians 1. Flip over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 verse 8. He said, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. What? Look at the record. Verses 4, 5, 6, 7. All of those things, spirituality, being a part of Israel that had received the oracles of God, keeping the law, uh, hating people and persecuting people that did not do right. This man stood up for righteousness. But he says, but what things were gained to me, Verse 7, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Since I know Jesus, I don't need anything else to make me feel good about myself in front of God. That's the only one I need, Jesus Christ. For whom I have suffered the, I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, here it is, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Righteousness is doing right, right actions, right work. When you know that you have a choice between doing right and doing wrong, and you choose to do right, that is a form of righteousness. You are doing the right thing, okay? The problem with righteousness that I do It's not good enough for God. God says, I'm glad you're fixing things up in your life, and I'm glad you did nice things. The problem is, you didn't fix all the junk you did in your life. What about all the sin that you've committed? Sure, sure, you're doing right now, today, like you're not killing someone in church. That's good. You're not lying. You're not cheating on your wife in church. That's good. 
That's good. But what about all the times and things that you did before? You see, my own righteousness is not good enough to make up for the sins that I did. There's no scale in heaven. It's not a debit and a credit system. Because if you commit one sin, the Bible says it's like one link in the chain. You're guilty of the whole thing. The whole thing snaps if one link gets messed up. If you commit one sin, you're guilty of all. And so that is why he had to give us righteousness that was not ours, that was not based on how good we were. It was the righteousness of God, and I received it as a gift from God when I believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin, that he was buried with my sin, and that he rose again, proving that he was innocent of the sins that he paid for. When he rose from the dead, that completed his offer of salvation. Now he can say, you're a sinner, but I'm not a sinner. Even more so, even though I'm not a sinner, I paid for your sin. Will you? Now listen, you may be good, but are you that good? <laughs> are you that good that you can say, I've never sinned, and I've also paid for the sins of every other person that ever sinned? That's what Jesus can boast. And it's not an empty, it's not an empty boast. It's reality. He paid for your sins. So why? Going to church. Well, I try to get to the Lord's house on the, Sunday, on the Sabbath. Well, that's good. You should go to church. But do you somehow think that by going to church, you're going to be as good as Jesus Christ? He is the standard of righteousness in heaven. God said, he always does those things that please me. I, I, this is my, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So you see, salvation by works it's not just difficult, it's impossible because it's not you living your best life. It's you living like Jesus Christ. That's why people get so messed up about it. They think, well, I know, I know I want to go to heaven, but I haven't been doing so good recently and I need to get back and do what's right. You can do what's right for the rest of your life and you'll never earn salvation because you'll never have the clean and spotless resume of Jesus Christ. You go back through his journal, there's not one day that he sinned. That's a lot of living. For 33 and a half years, he lived here and he never sinned. So it's futile. I don't mean to be unkind to religion and, and to your denomination, whatever it might be. I'm just saying it's foolish to say that somehow through a church or through a system that you could live like Jesus. Yeah, maybe you didn't kill anybody. Maybe you didn't rape or pillage. But Jesus Christ not only avoided sin, he lived his life to glorify his Father. And those are two separate things. So what Jesus did was he provided righteousness. Now you and I have it. How do we get it? Look at he says in verse 9. The righteousness is through the faith of Christ. I believe that Jesus did everything for me. I believe that he secured my eternal salvation through his, his death, burial, and resurrection. Let's take our Bibles now, and let's go backward to Ephesians, just one book. Backwards to Ephesians, look at verse 17. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Okay, so here is what God's trying to do. Once you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, 
He, he gives you the gift of salvation as a free gift, nothing that you earn. Once you believe that, he comes into you spiritually. How does that work? I have no idea. I've never seen it happen. It's not physical. It's spiritual. And there is a spirit world. It's invisible to the human eye. He comes in and he dwells in our hearts by faith. And he begins a system. He, it's almost as if the word of God, the seed of God, has been planted in us. And it takes root and it begins to grow. How does it grow? Look at verse number 17. It grows in love. you got to root it in love. Everything you do for God has to be based on love. That's the problem with work salvation, with working your way to heaven, with work, you know, like they say down south, I'm working on a road that leads to glory. The problem with that is people do that out of fear, not out of love. Why do they do it out of fear? They're afraid if they don't do it, they're in big trouble. But if you start with the gift of salvation by faith, I trust in him. It's a gift. I didn't earn it. I can't do anything to lose it. Why? God gave it to me as a gift, and God doesn't take gifts back. He gave it to me. I take it. I receive it. And I don't have to worry about whether I pleased God in order to get to heaven. Once I can relax, I can start enjoying myself. They said to the elderly man, after he came back from his transatlantic flight, they said, how did you like the flight? He said, well, it was okay, but I never put my full weight down. How many Christians go through their lives never putting their full weight down? Can I tell you, it doesn't matter whether you do or not, you're not flying the plane. You're not the plane. He's carrying you. So maybe you can put your weight down and say, Let's enjoy. I don't know how. I don't know what they go through at flight training school. I have no idea how this plane flies. I have no idea what kind of fuel's in it. I don't know when the last maintenance was done on it. I don't know. But I know this. I'm flying. And I might as well enjoy the ride. That ye being rooted and grounded in love, what happens then? May be able, verse 18, to comprehend. That's what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to know him. Comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Why? That ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. Do you feel filled with the fullness of God right now? If you're a child of God, that is available to you. How do you get it? through comprehending what Christ has done for you and to know that he loves you, you can be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, here's the problem. We get filled up with other stuff, don't we? We get filled up with hobbies. We get filled up with our fears, with our, with our envy, with our ambition. We get filled up with our hatred, our anger. And we've got so much of that and we're holding on to that. We're still saved, but it's like we're sitting in the plane as it flies and we're saying, I can't believe, it. I don't understand this thing. I don't like being in stuff that I don't understand, and why do people... And this guy, that kid, how many have been on a flight? There's always one crying infant on the flight, right? You feel like that in your life? Something just screaming at the top of your lung, and you're thinking, pacifier, uh, gag, uh, right? That's what I'm thinking. Now, I know you're not, but I mean, how many flights have you been on? After a while, you think, what's going on? Do they, is it a requirement? Is it a federal FAA requirement? There has to be one screaming child on every flight. It's amazing. 
But you know what? You know what? Sometime, at some point, I realize this: as, 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 as crazy as my life can be, and as difficult and as upset I can be, and all of that. You know, when you get in there and you strap in and, and you're ready to roll and, and you get out there and you're flying, you are having nothing to do with that. And as, her- as terrible as it can be and hard and horrible, you're flying through the air in a chair. <laughs> you're going to go somewhere that has nothing to do with you whatsoever as far as getting there. And you can choose to be upset and mad or you can choose to enjoy it. Believer, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you to enjoy the trip. To be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Not by you striving and pushing and trying. The spiritual fruit that's produced in my life is by means of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles to John chapter 15. Now, if you look out there on a a tree, you see fruit hanging on the branch. It's surrounded by leaves, and the branches are attached to the main trunk, and the main trunk goes down to the root, And those roots take in nourishment by means of water. And the nourishment passes from the root, through the trunk, through the branches, to the fruit. And the growth of that fruit is only possible because the tree allows the water and the nutrients to travel through it to produce the fruit. It has to let it flow. John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Verse 4, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, (laughs) except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Forgive me, I just had a funny thought about the branches. Abide in me. Yes, God, what do you want me to do? Abide. Okay, I'm abiding. What should I be doing? Jumping jacks? What should I do? Lord, I got to do something. He said, abide. Abide, yes. When can we get that on the schedule? And how long will that take? Abide. What does that mean? Dwell. Live. Hang out. Hang out in Christ. You ever get together with friends and just hang out? What does that mean? It doesn't mean you all are taking inventory of each other's lives. It doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're stressing out and you're trying to be the best friend you possibly can be. You're hanging out. When's the last time you hung out with the Son of God? You say, well, that's, that's irreverent. Okay, when's the last time you abode in Jesus Christ? It means the same thing. But, you know, sometimes it's nice to have that abide in Christ thing because that's real super spiritual. That way I don't have to do it. I mean, I got it on the shelf. I'm going to do it someday. Don't you worry about that. Because I know it's the Bible. But you never do it. You know what you do? You run around trying to be religious. Make sure you visit God on the weekends like he's in the nursing home. But you don't abide in him. What does that mean? It means recognizing that it's only by the grace of God that I'm even a branch And everything that I have to produce fruit is coming from him. And I can relax with that. I don't have to be so upset. My prayer life stinks. You ever hear somebody say that? (laughs) I don't read the Bible like I should. Yeah, you probably don't. 
But it's not just you and your duty-bound, ironclad will that's going to make yourself into a Christian. There's a part of you that has to tell your body what to do and die to your flesh, yes. But you're telling your body what to do by saying this. Hey, excuse my language. Hey, idiot, stop trying to be Jesus and let him be Jesus through you. You got to have time where you sit down and abide in him. I know you're going to figure it out. You're going to read the book. You're going to get, you're going to get the, the DVD series, the seminar. Sorry, DVD, that's old school. You're going to download the seminar. You're going to know all the stuff that has, and there's an answer out there. And you're going to find it. You're going to talk to somebody that knows the answer. And you're, going to get, and you're going to be stressed out. But you're not, probably not going to take the time to abide in Christ. What does abiding in Christ mean? It means just being there, connected with him. So the branch does. It's just there, connecting, and it's a channel through which water can flow. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Boy, this is good. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that flows through you. The spiritual fruit that's produced in my life is by means of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. God-given righteousness takes root in my life and then it grows in my life and it produces fruit in my life. Now let's get to the purpose. The purpose in verse number 11. Go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 11. Notice it says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Here's the purpose. The glory and praise of God. Fruit is something that others feed on and enjoy. The fruit tree doesn't benefit from bearing fruit. In fact, it takes something of a toll on the fruit tree to produce fruit. The fruit tree bears the fruit so that someone else can come along and pick that fruit and enjoy it. And so the purpose of the fruit tree is to be a blessing to someone else. So when I eat fruit, I don't say, I just praise that tree. I bow and worship that tree. Now, some people get confused with that, especially out in California, right? Places like that. They, 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 and don't kid yourself, they're everywhere. They worship the earth. Why? Because they know they didn't produce this and they're not worthy of it, so they've got to worship something. But, you know, I'd rather worship a sentient being, not a tree. And so when I eat fruit, I can say, hey, God, I praise you for allowing this fruit to grow, for designing this fruit. You see, I can give God the glory for the fruit that I'm enjoying. You're a child of God. You're living in your flesh. You have, you have a body. That body is really good for nothing if it's used for itself, if it's used for the world. But if it's yielded to God and it's grounded in the truth of God's love, it can receive spiritual nourishment through the water of the word from God himself. And it moves through the believer to the point where fruit is produced in the life. And other people can come by and they can pick that fruit and they can enjoy it. They, they, can, they can partake in what I'm doing to bring glory to God. God intends to make full use of the righteousness that he's given us, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. 
And he wants to use that righteousness. He wants us to use it so that other people can be blessed. Now take your Bibles and let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. We're making good progress. We're on page 3 of 4. Nowadays we have, we have a, a, a progress bar for everything we do. Unless the system crashes and we have to go back to square one. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> Philippians chapter, look, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 8. Ephesians 5, 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Parenthesis. Here's what it means to walk as a child of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Galatians 5.22 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Those seven, the nine fruit of the Spirit, it's amazing how, how those characteristics remind us of someone. Who do you think it is? It's Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is Jesus Christ coming out of me. Isn't that wild? That God would want to be in me and that he would want to live through me. What happens here, by the way, the fruit of the Spirit is not smart, smarter, smartest. No. The fruit of the Spirit is the characteristics of Jesus Christ coming out of the believer who is yielded to the Spirit of God. What what God wants is to be able to control our lives so well that the characteristics of Christ become the characteristics of me. And other people are blessed. Now go to look at verse uh, 10 here. He says, Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Here's the reason why we don't bear fruit is because we're caught up with unfruitful works. Now he goes on to describe those unfruitful works, and if you want to see the works of the flesh, Galatians chapter 5 Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, inordinate affection. There's all kinds of nasty stuff that the flesh will go to. You ever notice that? You don't have to worry about whether your, your house is going to fall apart. You don't have to schedule that. It just falls apart. Your car does not improve with age. It rusts out. Things stop working. Your body falls apart. Right? Why? Because the flesh is corrupted and corruptible. It just continues to deteriorate. But the spirit is life everlasting. So watch what he says. Be not, he says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Verse 17, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding, there's that understanding, the knowledge, the comprehension, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Well, I'm trying to determine whether God wants me to go here, go there. Should I buy the red car or the blue car? How about this? Be interested in the fruit of the Spirit in your life. I guarantee you, if you've got love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness, there is a very good chance that God doesn't care what color car you buy. He doesn't care where you go to preach the gospel. I understand about open doors. I understand about that some things need to align. But you're not going to get in trouble with God if you have love and joy and peace and long-suffering. That's the fruit. You see, we want the understanding of the will of the Lord. What we want is the magic eight ball that we can shake and say, God, should I do this or that? And then the rest of our lives, we couldn't give a rip about what God wants. We never asked him about this or that, but we ask him about this. Why? Because what we really want is God as a divine Ouija board, a spiritualized, sanitized 
Ouija board where we can ask him questions and he will tell us these inside things that only he knows and then we can get back to living our lives. Are you with me this morning, church? You know what God wants? He wants you to be concerned about producing Jesus Christ in your life. Well, what does that look like? Love, joy, peace. The righteousness of God himself is available to you. No matter what kind of car you drive or what kind of work, a job you work. You hear people say, I'm just praying about this job. And you should pray about your job. But are you praying about your anger? Are, are you praying about your lack of peace? Are, are you praying about the fact that you, you, you don't trust God with your finances? You see, we want to run to physical things like baptism and say, I can control that. I can get a hold of that. I just need God to tell me the inside, you know, video game inside code so I can beat that level. And then back to me doing what I do. And God says, I've got a whole lot more for you than that, Christian. I want you to be filled with all the fullness of God. I want you to be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. God can make you eternally more satisfied in him than you can make yourself happy on this earth. Verse number 18. And be not drunk with wine. Why? It's the wrong fruit. He said, wherein is excess? Don't feed the flesh. Don't feed your body. It's not about you uh, bringing forth fruit in the flesh. No, but be filled with the Spirit. And watch what he says. Semicolon, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You see how we bear fruit and that fruit immediately is connecting with someone else. You know what, what we do sometimes as Bible believers? We want to know, no, no. Charity, the Bible says, edifieth, but knowledge puffeth up. I want, to, I want to be smart, and then I want to be smarter, and then I want to be the smartest person in the world, and I don't want to have to do with anybody around me. We stink at relationships while we hold up the Bible and say, I believe every word of that. You know what God wants from you? He wants you to be filled with his characteristics. What did Jesus do? He went about doing good. He connected with people. Yes, he rebuked them. Yes, he had, but he was full of grace and truth. Full of both. Immediately, the fruit of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, is where I speak to you in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Another indication, by the way, that the Word of God and the Spirit of God are indissolubly connected. You can't tear them apart. You want to be filled with the Spirit? You're going to be filled with the Bible. And you're going to speak that Bible to other people. How do they know that they were filled with the Holy Ghost? They spake the word of God with boldness. They loved the Bible. It was in them. It was coming out of them. They weren't seeking an experience, a feeling. They were seeking the word of God. They loved it. And as a result of that, they experienced things. You see, what God is trying to do in our lives is he's trying to be so important to us that what he desires to do in this world He can do through us. He wants to do it through us. He says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things. Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another. Isn't that interesting that the filling of the Spirit of God results in speaking the words of God and singing. It results in giving thanks. It results in being able to submit to my spouse when he or she says something true that I don't like. 
It results in me as a pastor being able to submit to what you're saying if it's true and if it's right and godly. And even though I don't like it, but you say, hey, what about this? And I have to think through that. It results in you being able to submit to your pastor when he holds up the word of God. Not because he's the pastor, but because it's the word of God. It's submitting ourselves one to another. Why? In the fear of God. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And he says, the purpose of all of this is to give God glory and praise. Now, you realize that he didn't say just, just glory or just praise. There is a distinction there. And if you're like me, sometimes it's like, yeah, glory, and that's, that's a good spiritual word. I don't know what it means, but that's a good word. Let me, tr- let me see if I can break it down for you. Glory is not praise. I can praise God but not bring glory to him in my life. I can give thanks to God, but not glorify him. For instance, I could say, God, thank you for saving me. But I don't care if the rest of the world goes to hell. You see, I'm thanking God, I'm praising him, but I'm not bringing him glory. To give God glory is to respond to the revelation of his glory by producing fruit in my life, the fruits of righteousness. So I thank God that he saved me. That's praise. But then I act on that by being as good to you as God has been to me. That's bringing him glory. I may acknowledge that God made me, gave me life. He, he put me on this earth. Thank you, God, for life. But until I have surrendered that life for his purposes... I'm not bringing him glory. I can thank and praise God, but not ever bring him glory in that sense. I can acknowledge that God made my eyes, my ears. God gave me hands. And and if you ever see someone that doesn't have one of those functioning items, and, and you say, wow, thank you, God, for giving me this. I thank God for, for hot showers on a regular basis. I grew up, we didn't always have hot showers. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for what God's given me. You know what that means? I'm a grateful person as far as me is concerned. But glorifying him is when I take my eyes and my ears and my hands and I use them to to praise him in some manner where other people can see how good God has been to me. Most saved people, like, like lost people, use their bodies for themselves. They do what they want with their hands and their eyes and their breath. How do I know that God is love? Well, I know that because God loves me. How do I know that that God is gracious? Well, he's been gracious to me. So how can I give God glory for his love and his grace? I can act upon that by loving you and showing you grace. That brings glory to God. There are people in my life who have shown me the grace of God. And I glorify God for the work that he's done in their life. Why? Because they showed it to me. God gave them grace, and now as a result, they're giving somebody else grace. That's bringing glory to God. More people can look at God and say he's wonderful. That's what God wants to do. The purpose of it is the glory and the praise of God. In conclusion this morning, the love that you have 
came from God. The knowledge that you have and judgment that you have came from God. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. The the, the ability to approve what is excellent, that came from God. If you have a life of sincerity, if you are able to live without offending other people, that came from God. And if you have any righteousness, and if that righteousness is producing any fruit in your life, that came from God by Jesus Christ. We need to make sure that the source gets the glory and not the vessel. All the things that I'm trying to do for God are only because he placed me into his family. God wants us to be filled with the fruits of righteousness, but recognizing that they are by Jesus Christ. And the reason I do them is to bring glory and honor and praise to my great Savior. My question to you this morning in closing is, what is filling your heart? What are you filled with today? Are you filled with envy? It's awkward in church. You can't hardly relax sometimes until you get by yourself. What do you find filling your heart when you daydream? Ambition? How about despair? Darkness? Fear? This is what seeks to fill our hearts. God wants you to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. He wants you to be filled with the Spirit, to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. How do I get there, preacher? How do I get there? Here's where it starts. You come to God and you say, God, you put me in your family. I've been messing stuff up and worrying about things. I've been stressing out. And all I can say is this, God, I'm your child. You put me in the family of God through the righteousness of Christ. And I'm surrendering to that today. I'm back to square one where, God, you always wanted me to be. I I am surrendering to your work in my life, whatever that may seem, whatever that may be. Secondly, are you relying on Jesus Christ to produce the fruits of righteousness? If you're not, you're religious, but you're probably stressed or proud. Maybe both. The fruits of righteousness are by Jesus Christ. And number three, are you glorifying God by producing the fruits that will show others how great he is? Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning?